From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the second hour of Weekends with Jason Oldborn. I'm delighted to have your company. And if you're that way inclined and you're watching us on social media, just give us a like and maybe a share and say, hey, I've just discovered this brand new station. It's video and audio, and I recommend that you watch it. And you certainly will be really, really happy with your decision because in this hour, I've got another great guest and I'm going to introduce Nate in just a moment. just want to go back a little bit and explain that in April of 2015, Bernie Sanders announced that he, an independent senator for, from Vermont, would be running under the Democrat banner for president. It took social media by storm with his three-point plan. It was $15 an hour minimum wage, free tertiary education and free health care. That's all he put out there. That's all he was really all about. But what it was was a kick in the face of the Clinton machine with the former Secretary of State under investigation, and a clear establishment hack that after a disappointing and underwhelming non-revolution of hope under the Obama years, that there was still a chance for change in the internet firstly, and then the public reacted accordingly. But that was more than eight and a half years ago. We've had the Olympics in Rio and Tokyo since, and the next one in Paris is about seven months away. Whichever way you look at it, that is a really, really long time. So my next guest, Nate Pro, is a therapist and podcast host of The Higher Light, who guides people to take to their full responsibility for their own lives, teaches people who are willing to learn how to grow beyond the status quo and to live deliberately, authentically in all facets of life and to thrive in these uncertain times. Thrive. That's right. Nate Crow, welcome to Weekends. Thanks for having me. Gosh, it's good to see you, Nate. It's uh, brilliant. And what a time it is to be alive is one of my slogans. But seriously, it really is. How much growth do you think you yourself as a person has experienced over the past eight years or so? I think that um, collectively, just over time and experience that we have the opportunity to grow, I think it's whether or not we take it on board. Fortunately for myself, I've had um, a very interesting path over the last eight years. So at this point, um, the growth has been tremendous and I've enjoyed all the parts of it, even the hard stuff. Now, that that's part of this because it's the idea that you are the master of your own destiny. And more and more we're seeing in mainstream society that autonomy is a dirty word. You're not allowed to think for yourself. You're certainly not allowed to uh, make your own medical decisions and be an accepted part of society anymore. And yet anyone who's ever thrived has done so because they've gone against the status quo. How can society therefore be so divided in, in, in such an obvious way? I think that collectively people are measured at the moment um, by the seven second, even less than that, the two second soundbite. And I think because a lot of people do take a lot of their information based on news and they take it on face value, they're often put in a position where they're in a state of fight or flight and they're not able to critically think. And I think that's what the last four years at least, is, or the two, last three and a half at least, have been about. It's about getting people off their feet, making you discombobulated just by the sheer amount of information there is out there to go through. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because if we can overwhelm you, then you will just secede or, or, or cede your um, 
your control back to us in power. You will do what we tell you to do, and therefore that's all you need to do. It's a really good point, isn't it? Because that would explain why in politics people typically vote for who it is that their family voted for. It's not until they become an independent thinker and reject the ideas because they realise something's not right that they go down that pathway and go, okay, I'm going to change my vote. It's almost as if it's um, when someone says to you when you're when you're handing out on, on, on voting day, oh, look, I vote Labor or I vote Liberal because that's what my family's always done. It's like an accepted excuse of ignorance in, in that way. Would you read it like that? Yeah, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So uh, as a parent myself and looking back on my parents, you tend to follow, you know, the suit of your family. And that's basically because the socioeconomic profile of your family tends to dictate who they vote for and where they live. So those things, because traditionally in uh, politics, from my understanding, is most sides were uh, locations would be based on, oh, that's a blue, that's a blue one, that's a red one. Right, so we'd have the, the the fraction of parties based on where you live and your lifestyle that you have. So business owners have a different idea of things as someone on benefits, and I think that um, yeah, you can't help but be ingrained by the pattern of your parents. And so, are your parents doing you a disservice, therefore, if that they're not preparing you for the world that's coming up, or is it a case of the parents are deliberately left out of that, uh, particularly as we're seeing in schools now? Look, I, I've had occasion in the school system. My kids are homeschooled, and we even talk to school teachers who shake their heads and and they don't they're not disapproving. They say. Wow, I, I'm I'm delighted that you're able to do that. If I had that ability, I too would also wish to homeschool my own children. But I'm a school teacher. That is a fascinating uh, take on on the education system. So people are always willing to look when someone else is involved. But are we prepared enough to be able to understand society on any given day to be able to make these decisions, or do we just? make it out to be or, or, or feel that it's too hard and therefore fall back to traditional uh, social mores and just do what we're told to do? I think that um, there comes a point where we have to sort of put down the narrative and everything about it and have healthy doses of time outside of stuff. Um, some people had to make decisions they didn't want to make and it's unfortunate that they went down the path they went down. It isn't necessarily their fault. A lot were coerced into it. So from that, pers from that perspective, I think that overall um, it's all about moderation now, especially when it comes to ingesting what's going on with, with the government and all that's going on. There's only so much you can get ahead of things, and I think that ultimately um, that's, that's the hardest part is that the throughput rate of information, the amount of things that are going on. Like at the moment, the government are trying to squash um, small business and entrepreneurs who make a living on the road and make a living in the gig economy. That's one of their targets with this bill that they've got passing in Parliament at the moment. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So essentially this bill, it's a amendment bill to, um, it's a loophole bill related to commerce. And what they're looking to do is quash anyone who's an ABN holder or a small business owner who um, doesn't want to work for another business. Essentially, you'll have to be an employee of someone to be able to to work in the industry is my understanding of the bill that they're trying to get through at the moment. And, and what do you think the purpose of such a bill is aimed at actually achieving? I think essentially a bill like this is the idea of any sort of autonomy that you touched on at the start is, is taken away. If you think about the only level of uh, society now, apart from the really rich, that has any negotiating power, 
it's those tradies that make, you know, five grand a day, three grand a day by themselves or with one offsider, you know, on an ABN. And if those guys can't go out and do that because they have to work for a big corporation, um, it's just playing in, into the hands of the whole idea of everything's just a box store. There is no little coffee shops. There is none of those things available for everybody. It'll be just shut down and we'll be looking at only one way or one option, which is the monopoly. It's interesting, isn't it? Because during the COVID lockdown period, you had here in Australia, Prime Minister Scott Morrison telling you that the big uh, shops were open, whether it be the big hardware store or the uh, drive-through fast food or the or, or the bottle shop, but uh, little mum and dad fish and chip shop, hamburger um, uh, joint, something like that was completely ignored, closed down. The little Chinese restaurant was not allowed to open. And so it was, it was only the big corporates that were well looked after. And it's a really easy way to get support, isn't it? If the big corporates are making super normal profits during these periods, then of course, they're gonna do whatever it is that the government tells them to do. I find it a painful, ironic, that everything can be controlled so simply just with uh, the power of money. Like it doesn't seem to matter that when money's being thrown around and, and a certain person is the beneficiary, that they just seem to go along with whatever's going on and not question the way that they're getting their money. How do you, how do you feel about something like that? Is it is it just that simple that we're we're that we're punished that badly just because the 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 root of all evil seems to be the the love or or the need for money? People do things that they wouldn't have done with their body autonomy in the last two two and a half three years. Um, debt is the reason why. Um, also, complacency. A lot of people decided to modify their biology just to go to the pub. I find that amazing. It's yeah. profound to think that someone would do it for something so little, and then to know that. Three months later, we'd be back in the pub with them was kind of the irony of it. I think that no government is really willing to go ahead with the old stuff right now. I think when they come through with their new brand of mandate, it'll be uh, a different angle. That's a really good point, isn't it? And 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 the sellout for convenience. This is another thing that really gets up my uh, up my nose is the idea that the governments always have two things. Whenever they want to push something, they always come out and say, "Oh well, the convenience of a CBDC is that you'll only need to carry one piece of equipment with you that'll have all your ID on it." And you say, "But Mr. or Mrs. Government Representative, didn't we just see the telco go down and get hacked? And didn't we just see someone else go down and get hacked? And then there was another." one that got, went down and they got hacked and you couldn't access your money. Why would I want to centralise all of my data, even if it's the government, which by the way, are pretty incompetent at most things that they touch, that I would trust you, the government, by putting it all there in one place anyway? Like it just seems to be counterintuitive. Are we, are we that dumb in terms of the government eyes or do you think that it's just the way that they've always done it and maybe they are just that stupid and this might be the, 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 the stick in the mud that says, no, we're not going along with you anymore? Devices have made people um, not pay attention to things in the same way. Mm. A lot of people, when you see them out, they'll have their head down in their phone. No one really looks in anyone's eyes anymore. No one really pays attention anymore. You just get the throughput rate of however fast you scroll on the device you scroll on, and that distracts you from the pain of life. Um, what's happened in the last three years is everyone's got a little bit of taste of what the pain is behind the distraction. And I think over the coming six to 12 months, that's going to go to a different level. And I think the people are going to need to start to look at ways that they mitigate what's going on with the system. Like the digital ID for corporations, for directors, was one of the steps the government want to get as uh, their first position point on the way to getting everybody to have a digital ID. Mm. Now, if 
they keep saying that hackers are doing this, hackers are doing that, like it was in the States in the last week with China hacking um, a lot of the infrastructure stuff. If that sort of thing is to continue to take place, this will then set more precedents for them to bring in these sort of things. When these things come into control, a lot of people will just openly fall into it for convenience. They'll probably gamification it in a way where they give you double your points or something in their credit system. Again, it's the same as the fiat is now. The money that we have now is worthless. We just haven't figured that out yet because they haven't crashed it all. But it's on its way to doing that right now because of the BRICS um, partnership and because the US dollars run its course. Yeah, these are interesting um, points, aren't they, that uh, that you see these different pathways. But the the world is being divided. You've got the US and the idea of a uh, a global superpower, US hegemony being the most powerful nation in the world versus a multipolar world where you've got these BRICS nations, Russia, Brazil, India, China, South Africa, soon to be uh, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and one late scratching, it appears that Argentina will not be taking up the BRICS option, which is interesting in itself. But, mm. but this superpower idea is being spread out. So I look at that. And I think, well, that provides me with a little bit of confidence. But then there are other critics out there saying that perhaps BRICS is not the be-all and end-all that you thought it might be. Uh, and, and, and I then think, okay, well, part of that would be who is signing up to these globalist ideas? Is China, for example, part of the World Health Organization? That says that makes me kind of nervous that that would be one of those things. Uh, if, if Russia was involved and in signing up to the World Health Organization, or perhaps it would be uh, whether they're signing up to Paris Accords, Anything that sort of separates from any global organisation provides me with some confidence that there is a someone bucking the system and some sort of resistance out there. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily seem to be a, as simple as that, but at least there are divisions. But I also think that there is a few things that these Chinese, uh, Ch uh, Russia and India are not quite letting the cat out of the bag yet. And it seems to be pointing to what may happen in the US with the next president. And it seems that that might be the reason because India is very good at playing both sides of the fence. They're uh, part of the, uh, the you know G G20, uh, part of BRICS. They're uh, doing deals with Biden. They're doing deals with um, BRICS nations, of course. And so always trying to work out what's best for India is the most important part for India. But it seems that we don't make those same decisions anymore. Australia doesn't seem to be making the best decisions for Australia. Australia seems to be making the best decisions that Klaus Schwab told Australia to make. And that's a big difference here. It seems that we don't have representation anymore. And so for those that are that are watching on must be thinking, yeah, you're right. Um, my politician doesn't represent my interests. What is the point of even having authority or, or politicians anymore uh, if, if this is the way that they're going to um, run the world as we speak. We've even got Klaus Schwab talking about with um, Sergey, um, uh, the leader of, um, uh, sorry, one of the creators of Google saying that we've now got um, uh, predictive uh, information. We probably don't even need elections anymore. We can just know what people want to do. I mean, what a great excuse to get rid of democracy. Oh, we know what's going to happen. Google's worked it out for us. There we are. So every time we move forward, uh, we've got someone willing and wanting at, in superpower status, uh, these unelected global elite organizations already have these plans out to take over uh, the way that we live. And it seems that we don't have uh, any sort of pathway. It has to be a breakdown to get us there. Will it be the hack or, or, or what's going on? With all of that information that I've just thrown at you, Nate, how do you, um, how do you sort of rationalize in this sort of globalist nationalist competition? 
it's an interesting play that you talked about, the uh, next president. There's um, it's there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of play uh, at the moment, and um, what I find is um, man, yeah, we might have some I'm problems getting, there with Nate's phone. Can we um, we might have lost him. We'll get him back on the phone in a sec. Sometimes this happens, oh, and unfortunately, it's part of what's going on in the uh, with with weather and uh, and fires out on, on the central coast region at the moment. Maybe ha playing havoc with our communications. But we'll work to get Nate back on. And and there was a lot that we we, we want to uh, we want to cover off on there because mental health, uh, the way that we're dealing with it. And it was interesting that Nate made those points back there about sort of it's stepping back from the system. And what a terrific time as we move towards our Christmas break, at least here in. Australia, where we get a, a, a reasonable amount of time. I'm not sure when you're having your break for Christmas this year, but uh, just to be able to get away and Christmas um, being on the Monday and Tuesday, many people will be looking at next weekend, having a double day lead up into that break, perhaps taking the whole week off there and getting a recharge of the batteries and, and going about your business. And whilst you do, I think it's a really good time to be able to, uh, when you go to this year's Christmas lunch, to be able to just test the pulse of your family members. For my in my family a couple of years ago we were banned from christmas because we weren't going to be vaccinated and i wasn't taking a rat test to go have lunch with my family so christmas was spent at home and what a great day we had with christmas that day doing our own thing now just while we're getting it back sorted i was just talking about how my christmas like two years ago we were banned from the family christmas party because we wouldn't take a jab and we wouldn't take a rat test or whatever test you're supposed to take to sort of show our vaccinated family members that they were somehow safe from us and by having a christmas at home that year created a brand new tradition and we kind of love having christmas at home this is another interesting part of it. It's the idea that um, in, in, in setbacks, you create new discoveries, and this is where the growth comes from. How might you be spending your Christmas going forward in the post-COVID era? I'm definitely in a similar boat to yourself at the moment. Uh, I have part of my family that I haven't spoken to in a little while. Um, part of it to do with COVID, but just I think the general stress of the last two years has taken its toll on a lot of relationships. I feel that... Um, yeah, coming back to your roots, coming back to the things that really matter in life, is it's a good gut check. So for mm. me this year, what we'll be doing is um, we'll be doing some camping with the kids and, um, and we'll just be spending probably that day at home and just sort of chilling out and have, maybe having a breakfast on the porch and looking at, the, looking at the, all the animals and stuff that we've got there. So that'll probably be what we're going to do on uh, Christmas Day. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's such a nice thing to be able to create new family traditions. I think it's really important that uh, it's one thing to be able to do something that's been passed down to you. But how did that that tradition get started? It was because a nuclear family decided to do something different. And in that space, it's a wonderful thing. So I wonder what people will be doing, whether it's cooking something different at Christmas, having a completely new theme. One thing that we're going to do, for example, this, uh, this Christmas morning is we're going to make Christmas club sandwiches, Nate. So it'll be turkey and ham with uh, lettuce and egg and mayonnaise, uh, etc. That's what we've got planned to do something different. The whole family loves them, and that will be Christmas lunch, the uh, the Turkey Christmas Club. Uh, it's just one of those nice things that you're able to do and uh, and make something different. And of course, the other big thing that we've got going this year is that next week on uh, Gravy Day, which is December 21st, my family's going to be uh, singing along with a choir for the Paul Kelly song, How to Make Gravy, uh, trying to set another family tradition. What do you think about that? I don't know the song personally. The sandwich sounds amazing. Um, it actually, it actually sounds really good because 
it sounds like quite a simple, humble meal. And mm. I find that we tend to overspend and we tend to overeat and we tend to overdo a lot of things on Christmas Day. And it's kind of, that's been the tradition, the tradition of gluttony. And I think that uh, maybe now people are starting to look at things in a different light. And, um, and maybe, like even the, um, even the singing thing, anything where you're bringing joy to other people or you're connecting with other people or you're going to help people that maybe didn't get Christmas presents, any little thing you can do, giving a stranger $5, paying forward someone's coffee, multiple things you can do in this next couple of weeks to really show connectivity back to people. And I think when everyone's, you know, default is to walk up to a machine and press buttons and not talk to the lady and get an order, I think it's paramount that every chance we get, especially around this time of year, we remind people that we are human and we are connected. Yeah, that's such a, such a really good point. And I, um, I, I take your point there about the money. This year has been financially for many people, if not all people, uh, it has been a very, very difficult year with rising interest rates, not just here in Australia, but around the world. Inflation, uh, gangbusters, the price of fuel, the price of food, uh, quite quite extraordinary. Even simple things like the price of butter. I went into the local um, uh, supermarket the other day and $6.40, I think, was the cheapest price for 500 grams of butter. I used to pay $2.49 for that a couple of years ago that that is a huge inflation for a staple how do you think people are, are, are now dealing with this christmas for example given that the, the the financial purse strings are so tight credit card limits are probably already full and bulging interest rates have uh, for many people have gone from you know sort of two and a half three percent to somewhere now i think six and a half seven percent is the going rate how do people deal with that do you think that this is part of this reprogramming and and relearning that creates good habits good skills going forward or is it too hard for many people? In other words, how do you improve people's lives who come to you and say, I've got some real problems here concerning stuff that seems to be out of my control? I think you need to start with like running a budget, being interested in money. I think that if you don't have a vocabulary of money, you should get one. I think that um, you've been programmed essentially for a lot of people, the majority, to think of money as a bad thing or think of lack when you think of money. So if you want to look at it from a different perspective and you want to not... Okay, I've got a friend of mine, Beverly. She paints kids' faces at the local market that we go to on a Sunday. And every weekend, my kids get different things that they want on their faces. And she brings so much joy to them. And the markets pay for her to be there. And she's a lovely lady. And we talk a lot. And she brought up the other week that for her kids, it was especially as, uh, her daughter-in-law, why don't you come and spend time with me instead of buying me a present that I might or might not use, right? You can still spend money on me. You can take me to lunch if you want. We can do stuff. We can still, you know, enjoy the fruits of your labor. But let's do it in a way that's authentic where you really give me what's valuable, which is your time and attention, and we, we get to connect. And I think that's a really magical thing, and I think that's the essence of what we're all meant to be doing more of is that. And forget about the presents. Like, Go to Stringwheel and just give one family member a present instead of everyone buying a present for everybody, right? That's one way. Just buy presents for the kids is another way. Um, you know, there's other ways, acts of service, you know, helping your brother-in-law's wife because he passed away mow her lawn is probably more valuable than, you know, buying, buying them something, you know? So it's mm. stuff like that. It's just picking things to do that you can do that don't cost money because what I've noticed at the shops and what I've seen through the behaviors and the trends that I've observed online is that people's spending power has diminished a lot and it's going to take about 15 years for us to get that back. We're, our pre-COVID, I don't know if I say that word, our pre-COVID spending power 
um, is down by about eight, eight, eight fold. So it's going to take about 15 years for us to get that back. That's that means incredible. Shrinkflation, yeah, shrinkflation, and which is the, the getting smaller of your product that's paying the same or more for it. And what you were talking about, about just things costing more, is going to push a lot of people right to that limit. And I think this Christmas people are feeling it. It's, it's really, really interesting. And, and, and there is a, a process that people have to go out of their comfort zone in order to change. And, and this has kind of been the theme of our conversation today, Nate, is, uh, is people getting out of their comfort zone. When you are um, treating people as a therapist, um, is this something that you explain to people that there must, in order to get proper growth and change, that you have to change things? And some of those changes are not necessarily going to be things that you would like to do. They are going to make you um, step outside and do something different? I think for most people that come to a therapist, uh, it starts with some sort of trauma that uh, raised its head that hasn't been addressed. That's generally what a lot of people come to a therapist for or a part of their life isn't working the way they'd want it. The problem is, is that most of us are running in fight or flight, like I touched on earlier, or fawn or freeze is the other two parts of that response. And fawn or freeze is just going along with things. And if you look at what people have done over the last 12 to 18 months, there's been a lot of going along with things that didn't make sense, right? Then you've taken away people's freedom and you've, you've put them in a state of dis-ease because they're not comfortable, they're not all right, right? You've affected the lowest two levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the pyramid. And when you affect people's safety, people's body autonomy and those things, you create less choices for them and you put them in a little bit of a state of chaos. So I think the answer is having a plan forward and taking total responsibility for your decisions and your, your path up until this point. That is, uh, it, it always seems to come back to the same thing, doesn't it? That it, it, it comes back to the individual. Therefore, how do you explain, and it probably starts from within the family unit, how might you explain to your children the importance, therefore, of self-sufficiency and being able to at least try when they're in the school system uh, to go into extracurricular activities, to go to the lady at the markets and probably talk to uh, to Beverly, the lady, as she's painting the latest face? How, do, how is this a process that is um, something that the kids have to learn, or is it this autonomy, or is it something that you think that as a parent that you kind of are also a professional? Uh, a therapist in a way that you're planning this for your kids to teach these important lessons? I find thoughtful people a lot more interesting in life. Um, with your children, you basically, initially it's like you, they model you, so they copy your behaviour. And then additional to that, a healthy uh, cognitive parent would provide scaffolding for their children. So opportunities for them to try and fail opportunities for them to progress and succeed with something where there's uh, steps to something where they have to progress and put effort into to build something like a skill like martial arts or something of that nature. I think that having healthy role models is the essential part of all this. So as a man doing stuff with your kids for them to understand what a man does and what your purpose is and the structure of their life. And I think the mother's the protector and the one who provides nourishment and the resources for the child. And I think that those two roles are very distinct and I think we get them confused a lot in society or people put in single parent uh, situations where that's affected. And I think that strong men and having strong role models is essential for children to be able to then have that modelling to, to know where to go. So my kids do it by os osmosis. 
My kids do it by going out and watching me start a fire a hundred times, uh, watching me um, chop timber, um, going out in the bush and learning about different plants, different stuff like that. It's an interesting way, isn't it? Because it just gets back to old traditional values uh, of getting out amongst it, of, of not being strapped within a, a building, a room uh, with a screen in front of you. And, and this all seems to be, you know, same old, same old type of stuff. Uh, but it's it's the process of being once again, almost to check yourself and to say, where am I in all of this? What is it that I want to achieve out of it? What can I do differently? Uh, are all very, very important things that we, uh, that we have to consider when we're looking forward to these festive seasons and saying, how am I going to make this better than last year? I mean, I, I talk to so many people uh, just in, in daily life when you, you ask them what their plans are for the holiday season. And, and, and even when you ask them if they enjoy this particular part of their life, they don't. So why go under all of this pressure, therefore, to feel like that you've got to fit in and, as you said, buy gifts, et cetera? Why not just start something completely different? And there, of course, that's what we see, isn't it, that uh, more and more people who break from that, uh, that, that, that paradigm, that the Christmas go along to the family and, uh, and, and sit there and, and have lunch and drink too much and have an argument and all of that type of stuff, and then we'll do it all again next year. Why would you want to do that to yourself, Nate? I think that part's hard. I think that there's a part of life and the shortness or the fleetingness of it that we, we need to recognize as part of this. Things change rapidly in life and especially with family and especially with older people. Um, so as a guy looking at it in my 40s, I look at it completely different to earlier on. And my perspective now is that life has seasons and there'll only be so many more seasons for my parents to be part of that. And there'll only be so many more seasons for other relationships that I have or me to go snowboarding or do something that I like as far as your body and how long it holds up. So there's things you can do for certain periods of time. And then like when I'm 90, I'm probably not going to be able to snowboard. So I have to know that I've maybe got how many more seasons left, right? Your parents, if your parents, my parents live in the state, it's like how many more times will you see them before they're passing? It's a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a sad thing to look at, but it's the ultimate truth of it. So I think you do need to choose new traditions. And if you don't have traditions, make them. I love the fact that your family is so passionate about that stuff. I, I know a fair bit of it, and it's, it's very interesting to me. It, it, it seems that you're thoughtful around your process. Well, I, I kind of think that um, if you're living your life uh, through someone else uh, or, or something that's being done, that that's great to a point. But then it's not valuing your own autonomy or your own existence to say, well, hang on, why can't we do something different or better or or, or just our own way? And and that's what I love about that whole process of creating tradition. And I think it's just a, a really interesting part. Now, we're going to take a break in a moment, but um, when we come back, I want to explore some some other areas of, of what people might be up against and perhaps preparing for um, for the future, but not at the expense of making life tough for yourself. It's a balance. And I think, Nate, that that's a really important part of our conversation as when we return after the break. But in the meantime, you are watching and listening to Weekends with Jason Olborn here on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. You know that the ladies of The View very rarely disappoint. If you're in the market for liberal fanaticism, check them out. Last week, Sarah Haynes, she was pontificating about how, well, if you believe that birth is a miracle and God's choice, there should be limitations on you, all in support of abortion. 
People aren't doing this lightly. Like, this is not something where they're sitting around engaging in this. Only 1% of abortions occur after 20 weeks. 93% occur in the first trimester. And I tend to think when people say, well, it's God's will, it's a miracle, it's life. If it's God's will on the way in, it should be God's will on the way out too. That brings into question, are you taking heart, heart attack medication? Are you treating your cancer? Are you dying when he said you should? Because if we're gonna argue about life in, let's be honest about life out. So is she saying that pro-life people shouldn't seek medical help for themselves? Mm -hmm. Don't go to the hospital if you're hurting because it was God's will. Like I don't like the inconsistencies and the hypocrisy when people weaponize religion. So if you believe that God determines who gets pregnant and that it's a miracle, you have no right to medical help. I told you they're out of their minds. And thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. You are about to, about to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. Welcome back to Weekends with Jason Olborn. We're here with Nate Crow, who works as a therapist and is also out there a man of nature. And uh, it's exciting and it's interesting to be able to talk to a dad who is doing things differently in a world where the system seems to be against us. Nate, looking forward from here, and how much do you follow the daily events of the news, or do you just have a, a general understanding that things aren't going the way that you would? What I'm trying to get to with all of that is, are you following it enough to know what's going on to prepare for it, or are you just automatically preparing in a way uh, for whatever's coming in the future? I feel like our plan overall is for us to plan all the time. I spend a lot of my time um, with my family outdoors for a reason. It's fun. It's free. And it's also a really good way to have skills that they might not necessarily have if they spend a lot of time in front of a screen. It's uh, a really important scenario, isn't it? It's, it's very simple, but you've got to also be able to create that interest with the kids, uh, and, and that's that's a part of it. But at the same time, kids are resilient. Like that, my mum used to say that to me all the time. She was a a, a lifelong career nurse, but she was uh, she was of the attitude, the old school nurse, that if you weren't bleeding, you got up and you went to school, no matter what was wrong with you. But you did and you survived. And it kind of got rid of this sort of hypochondria that we see today, that it's almost like there's any excuse, uh, certainly in the post-COVID days, the uh, the attendance rate at schools are down, uh, kids don't turn up for various other things. i got a problem just in, in the local sporting teams, kids not being able to turn up for various different uh, reasons. It's too hot or someone's unwell. This is just part of what's going on, of course, but it just seems to be a lot more frequent. There doesn't seem to be the dedication that there might have been in the past uh, to to um, to be able to, to commit to something even when it's a bit tough. Uh, I think that um, we touched on earlier about the phone thing. Mm. The generations below us have always had the internet. That's a tremendous thing to consider when we look at the psychology of things and the attention rate, um, their want to thrive or their need for resilience. 
like they're getting dopamine hits all day by making their head movement do this and by watching a black screen. Mm. So what happens when you have to unpack that and explain it to a parent? Do parents get it or is it just a case of that this little screen acts as the babysitter because the parent is too busy, the parent's too distracted, and the parent is just trying to keep their own head above water uh, by just going as hard as they possibly can? So is that the is that the way that this seems to work now? I think there's two types of parents. We have parents that consciously parent and they focus on the development stage of their child and what they're getting. When I try to explain to a parent about devices, I can actually use myself as an example. And the example is we had a house that had two big TVs. We moved to a new place. We decided not to set up a TV. My son's behavior, his attention span and his focus dramatically increased within about a week period. So that's evidence in itself that I don't need any more evidence that that's the case. The other things we need to look at is their brain, their skulls are really thin. So their brains actually have problems when you have phones near them. And if you leave a device in your child's hand for a period of time, like I said earlier, it scrambles their brains. And essentially the child for the next couple of hours has less ability to focus and pay attention. How interesting. So this is a, a, a phenomenon that uh, all parents must be considering. So the warning there to keep uh, these devices, particularly the phone, uh, away from the child and certainly not in the hands for very long because it's going to cause different problems than, than we adults might uh, presume. And so there comes the next worry for parents is, well, what am I meant to do now? How do I now deal with this situation if I have got this problem? That in lies this ignorance problem that we're seeing, the, the head in the sand and the going along to get along trust of, uh, of the government, because if you ask the government, they'll tell you it's all safe and not to worry about it. So what does a parent do at that point? And this is the hard part, isn't it? Because you're kind of in a situation that you can't go out and, and, and prospect for new business as a therapist. You've got people coming to you in the first instance and saying, hey, I've got a problem. And it's so through perhaps your podcast that you're addressing these problems in advance to allow people to, uh, to work out what they may be facing down the track or in fact right now. People need help. I identified that a couple of years back and I realized that doctors never talk about exercise. Um, they don't really cover nutrition. Seed oils when you shop a supermarket is in every aisle and everything. These things are debilitating to our health, increase inflammation. People wear soles on the bottom of their feet, which insulate them from the ground. Where uh, electric beings, our body is based on electricity. That's what our heart does, essentially. Um, when we ground an earth, we take out some of that energy that we're picking up from all the systems that are around us. Like I said earlier, we're the last um, layer of civilization that wasn't bombarded with this level of radiation. Yeah, it's it, well, that's absolutely right. And so your kids, one way or another, it, are going to go down this inevitable pathway. When we therefore look at um, you know people like Elon Musk with Neuralink and brain chips, how does that resonate with you? Is this is this the 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 end of the human being at this point? Is it as dangerous as that? Is this something that it kind of has to play out and collapse? How do you rationalise that with your own understanding of what you don't want to see? People's lives suck that much now that they're willing to live in alternate realities as an option. Um, 
uh, is- phone addiction, everything to do with um, the way society is operating currently is flawed for how our system self-regulates. They're basically jacking you up and making you feel like your body needs this stuff. And what that's doing is it's dysregulating your nervous system and causing you to be in a state of disease by default. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest part, isn't it? Because uh, you don't even know what you don't even know that you're in this horrible scenario where your life is just going down a certain way and people are just, as you said, into a, it's a situation of dis-ease, which obviously makes you unwell. Moving beyond that, therefore, Nate, and once people understand that this is the case, is is it just as simple as just switching things off? Would a cyber attack, therefore, be a blessing in disguise? You are the placebo. So when Optus went out, I realised that my phone was a lump of coal and it was worth nothing to me whatsoever. I also realised that if I didn't have money in a certain account, I couldn't make a manoeuvre to get more fuel, to get food, to get anything I needed, like a SIM card, to be able to get past the point of realising that one telco was down. Compound that with three telcos and let's see how everybody reacts. Because it was only Optus users that were affected last time, but I guarantee the next one is of a, a larger scale because... They've already spoken about it and they've let you know through the World Economic Forum and everybody else what's coming. So it's, it's pre-programmed. What needs to happen now is people need to actually realise that that is probably a reality. But as I said at the start of this part of it, you are the placebo. And that means that you can choose to feed this energy. It's called louche. You can choose to feed it or you can step away from it. You can get outside, like I said, and sit by a fire at nighttime and talk about the stars and stuff. Instead of sitting on the couch at opposite ends and scrolling to... Ad nauseum. Now, part of the um, the process of, of 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 this taking control again is that you have to unplug yourself from the said matrix. Some people achieve that through you know going for a walk, switching off the phone, and these are all very simple things. Other people go down the pathway of a bit more in terms of um, you know. Uh, meditation or some sort of program or structure to do that. Can people work these things out for themselves by going down that meditative pathway, for example, and and if they've never done it before and start trying such a thing that answers will come to them that they've worked out for themselves? Is it really that simple, Nate? Meditation is one of those words like God where people have their own preconceived ideas around what it is. Meditation can be walking on the sand bare feet. Um, It can be playing with your dog. It can be washing dishes. Uh, If you speak to a monk and you give him a toothbrush and there's a cobblestone floor and he'll sit there and polish it all day and to him that's meditation. Um, It's a mindfulness. Um, When a dog walks outside, it's got mindful, but it's mindful on all new stuff again and every day it'll go to the same tree and do what it does. But a person is... We... Uh, me, how check see, Mihai, his name is, he um, explained that we get bombarded with like millions and millions of uh, sensors all at once. And our brain has to regulate that by uh, cutting it down into repeatable stuff and, and deleting a lot of the stuff that we get as sensory information. Um, we're also very able to program ourselves through our beliefs and our thoughts and our self-talk. And when we leave it to the system to program that through the movies that you watch, through the media and the news that you listen to and consume, it's like junk food. It is something that you do need to actually be aware of. And you want to pick up the salad more than you want to pick up the potato chips when it comes to the media. 
Mm. Yeah, it's a very good analogy, isn't it? That there's so much junk around and you've got to work out what actually represents value to you. Now, when you then look forward to this year coming up as 2024, are you approaching it as just normal life day to day or are you looking that that perhaps in the lead up to this US election and the threat, the big threat of Donald Trump being re-elected uh, to shake up the establishment, that perhaps we are moving forward to um, a, an apex point that at long last something must change in this very, very long and drawn out narrative of a, of a split in the human species and what we understand? I think we're at a point now where there's been a lot of pre-show and preamble to the conditioning. I think that um, the establishment have seen and collected a lot of information around how much dissent there is in relation to their objectives. So I think they've, they've got one or two ways to play it. I think there is potentially a looming war. I think there is potentially a looming crash of the economic um, structure. However, I feel like personally, this is the best time to push towards more of a gig economy. This is the best time to have a side hustle. This is the best time to not do overtime that you get taxed 50% on and go put that time into building something for yourself that no one can take stuff off, right? This is, mm. if anything now the last two years have taught me is try not to rely on them stuff. So get, get, grow some seeds, grow your own tomatoes, grow your own lettuce, grow your own celery, right? Do things that help you just understand how things work, right? Learn how to fix an old car. It's a great example of something that would be the next 12 months would be a good accomplishment because you never know when you could use an old car. Whereas stuff that's mm. brand new and got full of batteries, I don't think it works when they don't want it to. It's a really interesting part, isn't it? Because uh, we've seen how that works, the idea that an electric vehicle could be uh, just sent a software update to, um, to to achieve something. You don't even need to attend. So, of course, that same vehicle you would see could be stopped in any way that, that, that would therefore mean that you lose your autonomy to go out and drive your own vehicle. And, of course, the old car is the threat to, against that. And so we saw uh, just this last week at COP28, the climate summit in Dubai of all places, can you believe that, that uh, there were complaints that there was no uh, actual agreed upon communique at the end that said that um, that uh, the end of fossil fuels, that wasn't going to happen. So at least in that scenario, there is a reprieve. And like you said, that people aren't buying the narrative as, as cleanly as they once did. Do you think that this is a, uh, as we approach the end of the hour, do you think that this is a scenario now that it will have to be people power in the end that rejects these notions? Or do you think that there still needs to be a catalyst with some political leader to buck the system first? They're riding the uh, climate crisis thing all the way to the shore. I think that I'll just dismiss that really quickly for you. The other night they asked in New South Wales everyone to turn off some unessential things at home because they were worried about how much uh, electricity they had because one of their coal systems was down. Uh, how do you compound that with big trucks that have uh, 4,000 to 8,000 kilo batteries that take more draw if they're an electric truck than what some states do in the factories that they're built in? If these are the mm. things that we're working on as the premise of the future, it just doesn't work. So there'll be a reality soon enough where people have that compounded to the point where you've, you've got to understand it's unrealistic. We have to look at these, what they could term fossil fuels and other types of sources like hydrogen and other stuff like that and make those markets open economies, push forward with things that are viable of a different sense.
It's a really good point again, uh, Nate. So when you're looking at that, the part of that is the uh, the subsidies for this uh, so-called green energy, you know, wind and solar, backed by these enormous yep. subsidies. So what you're arguing, therefore, from a self-sufficient perspective, is that they need to be able to compete in an open marketplace and allow all technologies to compete fairly and squarely and let the system work it out for itself. Is that where you're going with this? Yeah, because it seems like a lot of technologies that have come through and then just fell to the wayside had legs for a reason or whatever. So it, as an example, the previous one to that would be if you look up a movie called Who Killed the Electric Car, you'd have a look mm -hmm. at this electric car back in the day that they had that was quite successful in what it did. And then General Motors recalled every single one of them, uh, even at force. So whenever anything comes out that is challenging that status quo, which is oil and now batteries and lithium, uh, you see that there's, uh, there's an, a counter argument by the establishment to try and break it and say that it's unethical. But the truth is, is that little African kids or diesel generated trucks are mining that lithium. And every solar panel station has a lithium, oh, sorry, sorry, has a diesel generator as its power source. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, it just does not make sense at all. And it feels like once again, we've been sold something that's not what it is. It's that inauthentic approach that's many reasons why you just, it doesn't take much to work out that uh, just because authority tells you it is, it is not. I remember from the uh, 2007 film Zeitgeist with Peter Joseph, it was very simple. Authority is not the truth. Truth is the authority. And that is just one example yet again. But it's a big, big thing, isn't it? To be able to walk away from a system one way or another and just reject it for what it is to be critical of a system right now when we have censorship for the first time here in australia and certainly in the united states imagine imagine that country with free speech and everything that goes on in the supposed home of the uh, land of the free home of the brave and yet censorship has become such a big deal do you think that we are being censored because uh we're stupid or we're being censored because we know we're, that we're smart and we know what's going on the, the TV is a patented device that is basically controlling your brain waves. Uh, the devices we have now ha are of a similar notion. The problem is that they let it open source to the market when it comes to making a video. I can jump onto the Instagram now and I can speak to 15 to 20 people who have me get, get on directly and no one's doing anything to stop that censorship uh, unless they want to, which is their new advancement in that direction too, as far as censorship, which is taking everybody out of the game essentially. Uh, also, to Instagram just updated its source where if anyone's shown any misinformation in the past, by default, you won't be able to see them in your feed or see them as a new discovery. That is really, really interesting. That would explain how the shadow bans work on social media uh, and, and why it is that you can produce something and get absolutely no engagement to it. Wow, I wasn't aware of that one. Nate, we've uh, got to the end of the show. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, perhaps to watch a podcast or if they want to get in touch for um, uh, therapy reasons, what's the best way that they can do that? Cool. So the podcast is called The Higher Light. It's on um, Spotify, Apple and all the other channels you can get it. Uh, the Instagram page is at the higher light official and uh, at Nate Crow. And you'll also find me for therapy at the art of heart underscore. At the art of heart underscore. Fantastic. Well, that gives you a, a big insight into uh, what Nate's up to and, and what he's doing. I thoroughly um, recommend that you check it out. You certainly will get a very different approach. And uh, whilst we battled through uh, the different scenarios there with the uh, the internet um, causing a bit of friction, we still got to the end of the interview. And I just want to say, Nate, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, always enlightening and great to be able to catch up after such a, a long time. We're going to take a break in a moment. And when we come back after, 
after the news, we will have Father Chris Yates on the other side. I'm sure that he has got plenty to say, and we're going to put him to the test. Is religion to blame for the decline of the West? You are watching Weekends with Jason Olborn here on TNT Radio.